You know, Satan is real, but maybe not quite as what we expect. The book of Ephesians, chapter 6, starts with verse 12, and it says this. And it really is kind of a description about the types of things that we are fighting or that we're, that we're up against when it comes to this person or this influence called Satan. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It kind of describes for us that, you know, there is a tremendous amount of stuff going on here. You know, there's a lot of things that that you and I um, don't necessarily understand. um, You know, Satan is quite slick. You know, as a deceiver, what does he do? He deceives us in our mind. He fills our minds with lies. He deceives us, much like what happened in the Garden of Eden with Eve. He filled her mind with certain lies that, that... contradicted the things that God had told them. And consequently, she turned against God and she ended up sinning. He, as the destroyer, is the one that that attacks this God-given attribute that we have called free will. You know, we've heard that term a lot, that we are created in the image of God. Well, one of those ways that we're created in his image is through this gift of free will. We get to reason and rationalize things and to choose. And this is one of the places that Satan attacks us, and he attacks us mostly with pride. You know, as we have that free will of our own that we can make those choices, he fills us up with pride so that we would make selfish choices sometimes as as opposed to godly choices. You know, as the accuser, he goes right to the jugular, right to our heart, into the things that we Hold near and dear, the things that we believe in, the things that we trust in. And he goes right to our heart and he fills our hearts with accusations, tons of accusations. Honestly, nobody is exempt from his. I know that I'm not as a pastor. I can't tell you how many times Satan has planted these seeds inside of me and says, you know, you can't be a pastor. Who are you? You know, Joe, you've got so many issues and so many things, you know, the mistakes that you've made in, in your life, and, and yet you're going to be a pastor? You know, certainly God must have made a, you know, a fatal mistake here or something, because you're not equipped. You're not good enough. Heck, you're not even a, a good dad. I mean, he attacks our minds and our hearts with so much negativity. And so many things to get us off track. He's very sly. You see, because before we sin, he attacks our free will in ways that kind of gets us to lower our guard. He tells us things like, it's no big deal. You know, what you're looking at doing here, it's no big deal. Lots of people do it. And if that's not good enough, don't worry. No one will find out. 
you can go ahead and do this particular thing, whatever it is you want to do, and no one will find out. He attacks us that way sometimes, even with the things that go on in, inside of our hearts, you know, like like lust and and greed and envy and all. You can do these, you can follow through on these things because no one's ever going to find out. Or it's not a real big deal, or everybody does it. And then he, he, he keeps going. He says, you deserve this. You know, you might be looking at something and you know it's not probably the right choice to make. But he tells you, you deserve it. You're only going to do it once. You're only going to have to do it once. You never get caught. But then, after we fall into sin, what he says is, you're nothing. He says, see, I told you you could never be a pastor. Because look at the way you behave. Look at the things that you do wrong. Look at the way, you know, that, that you have let God down. How could he ever? You're pathetic. You're just, you're just a hypocrite. You're, you're, your life is over. You're, not, you, you're of no use to God. You can't be of any use. But then we read things about, well, the end. The end of Satan. The end of his attacks. On her life. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and starting with verse 10, uh, this is what it says. And I'll ask you to take a look at that later on. Uh, Revelation 12, 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. You know, he's talking about this, this end time where Satan is going to be defeated and all of the accusations and all of the, you know, the temptations and all of the lies that he puts inside of us are going to come to an end because there will come a time when God says enough is enough. I want to kind of present all of this in a different way to you today. I want to present this concept of, of us being reestablished and forgiven uh, kind of in a courtroom type of setting. Just another way to look at this plan of salvation that God has for each one of us. <clears throat> now, in this courtroom situation, I'm the defendant. I'm the one that is being charged. With all of these things that I've done wrong in my life, Satan would be the one that is the prosecutor. He would be the attorney that's prosecuting my case. He's the one bringing the charges against me and proving that, that I'm guilty. And he would be the one that will demand some type of justice. And of course, God is the judge in this courtroom setting. But Jesus is my attorney. Jesus is my advocate. He's the one that's going to defend me. So if you have that picture in your mind of this courtroom setting, kind of let me take you and walk through this. The courtroom settles down and everything comes to, you know, this point where opening statements are ready to be made. So Satan makes his opening statement as the prosecuting attorney against me. And this is what he might say. Today we're going to prove, we're going to show without a shadow of a doubt, 
that Joe has done many things that deserve punishment. Joe has stolen in his life. We will prove that. He's lied. He's taken God's name in vain many, many times. Joe has overreacted in his anger and done many different things that are sinful and against the will of God. Joe has faltered in this life in many ways, not only as a husband, but as a, as a human being, as a father, as an aunt, and, or as an uncle. And, and he's done all kinds of things that show that he is a man that is filled with inconsistencies and sin. He's mishandled money, and he's borne false witness against many people, and he's also lusted in his heart over and over and over again. You know, if that's the kind of opening statement that Satan is making, you know, as he's prosecuting me before God, it really looks pretty bleak. Doesn't look good at all. And sometimes people don't take this, you know, with a, you know, the right attitude of heart. Sometimes people just think, you know, well, when you have to give an account of yourself before others, it's just kind of a joke, you know. I want you to read later on. I'll read it for you here now. But later, read 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. However, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So when you think about that in Satan's opening statements, you know, he is a host of things, host of charges against me. And there are enough charges there that I could be facing the death penalty because of those many, many offenses that Satan is going to prove to the court that I'm guilty of. You know, he, he, he shows where I am compared to the holiness of God. And he's going to pounce on me until the death penalty comes my way because of the sinful nature of who I am and because of the things that I've done. However, Jesus is going to make his opening statement now. And this is what I think Jesus would say. My client, Joseph, is guilty of all the charges against him. Joseph has admitted to all of the wrongdoings outlined by the prosecution. And he has waived any desire or right that he might have or a plea bargain. He has stated that he is guilty as charged, and because of his admission of guilt, he will have to accept any and all penalties, penalties that the court should see fit to issue, including the death penalty. However, if it pleases the court, I would like to offer an alternative to that that will satisfy all parties concerned. First, justice must be paid fully. The full price for his crimes will be paid, even unto the death penalty. 
and this will satisfy the prosecution. And secondly, I would like to replace Joseph in regards to the payment of any and all penalties that the court should impose. The rationale for this decision is as such. Joseph is actually unable to pay the entire debt that is owed for his crimes. And without full payment, justice will never be served. Due to his remorse and his desire to be reestablished as a productive member of society, I would like to freely step in as his substitute. As a human being, Joseph is totally unable to endure the consequences of his actions, even though God's holiness must be preserved through the payment of the penalty as outlined by the court even unto death. Because of his repentance, because of his love for me and mine for him, I would like to accept his payment or his punishment in full, providing payment in full. Once payment has been rendered in full, I will reestablish him as a productive member of the family of God without condemnation. If approved by the judge, I will make him a new creation through the power of God for all of eternity, thereby returning him to the state in which he was originally meant to be. You know, this is probably one of the most unusual, you know, courtroom type of scenarios that you might come across. You know, where the defendant admits that he's guilty. You know, the prosecutor has got out this laundry list of things, you know, and says, yeah. And the, and the defendant says, he's right. I, I, I can't argue that point. I wish I'd never done them. I wish I wasn't guilty. But yeah, he's right. So our advocate Jesus steps in and he says, you know, he says, because Joseph can't pay in full the penalties involved in all of these charges brought against him, and because he believes in who I am, and he trusts me and he loves me, then I'm going to step in and pay the full price for all of his all of his sins, all of his inequities. I'm going to pay the full price. And then after he has paid that price through me, I'm going to reestablish him to the kingdom of God where he was always meant to be. You know, this really is the best news that we could ever ask for. You know, I, I wanted to present this in a way that maybe was just a little bit different way of looking at it. You know, from, from like a courtroom setting. We all know the story. We know that Jesus died on the cross um, so that he could redeem each and every one of us. But also I wanted us to understand that you and I could never, ever, ever pay the price, you know, for the sins that we have created and that we have done against God. We just, we could never do it. You could, we could spend an eternity suffering and never pay the full price. Only God could do that himself. And only God could do that himself through his son, Jesus. You and I simply need to repent for the things that we've done wrong and accept the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. 
That means forgiveness. Thanks for joining me this morning, and God bless. Tough Questions for God is a teaching ministry of the Rosebush United Methodist Church, where we challenge our faith with some of the most difficult issues. Tough Questions for God is available on Facebook Live Sundays at 11.30 a.m. or go on our website at toughquestionsforgod.org and just follow the links on the homepage for YouTube or via podcast. Thanks for joining, and don't forget to like and share. God bless.